Hello, and welcome once again to another edition of Faith to Live By. I'm your host, Pam Christian, and I'm both an apologist and a charismatic, so I seek to bring balance between rational thought and spiritual realities. I think you'd agree most charismatics emphasize experience and non-charismatics emphasize biblical knowledge. However, I'm convinced God desires for us to enjoy a balance of the two in order to more fully live the life Jesus exampled. This is part four of the fear of God, which is something the world needs today like never before. Only those who believe God exists, who also have sufficient understanding about who God is, and have understanding about his character, will, and intentions, will submit to God with reverential fear and awe. Only those who truly understand God is sovereign over all will choose to submit themselves to him. I want to point out a statement I unexpectedly found myself saying some years ago. Quote, We must understand, just because God is sovereign over all does not make him responsible for all. Please keep this in mind as I share what's on my heart for today's program. Last week, we discussed the importance of our words and how our words reveal what we truly believe. Consider 1 John 4, 1-3, which states, quote, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but prove the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Here again, very clearly, what we say and speak reveals what we truly believe. Just as the demons in hell know who Jesus is, but choose not to submit to him, so are there many people alive today who respond the same way. Consider James 2.19, which states, quote, You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder, end quote. What James is pointing out in this verse is that mere mental assent or acknowledgement about Jesus does not save anyone. Salvation comes from a willing submission to Jesus as Savior and Lord. It seems incredulous to those of us who have confessed Christ as our personal Lord and Savior why anyone would choose not to receive Christ. We know God, motivated by His great love and mercy, fully extended Himself to rescue anyone who desires to be in a right relationship with Him. So it is exceedingly difficult for us to grasp the thought that anyone would be willing to reject God, or that Lucifer and the demons who were once holy angels in heaven reject and openly oppose God. God created Lucifer as a powerful, intelligent, and beautiful angelic being, the chief among all angels, and he was very good. His name means shining one, but Lucifer, as all of God's created beings, has a will with which he can freely choose. Lucifer's beauty, wisdom, and might All the good things created in him by God led him to pride. His pride led to his rebellion and his fall, but he never lost and thus still retains all of his powers and traits. He is leading a cosmic revolt against the Creator to see who will be God. His strategy was to enlist first one-third of the heavenly angels who sided with him, then to enlist mankind to join him. By tempting Adam and Eve to succumb to the same choice that he made, 
to love themselves, to become autonomous from God and defy God. The heart of the test of Adam's will was the same as Lucifer's. They both chose to be God to themselves. This was and is the ultimate God delusion. Because Adam and Eve chose their own way, which in reality was the way of Lucifer, also known as Satan, every human being born ever since has inherited the same rebellious spiritual condition. We are all born as an enemy of God. Only those of us who believe and receive the truth about God, about ourselves, about Jesus, and about Satan are graced with the miraculous gift of redemption. We are redeemed through faith in Jesus, and we are instantly transformed, no longer enemies of God, but instead become part of God's holy family once we confess Jesus as Savior and Lord. The fact that God, through Jesus, provided a way of redemption and escape from Satan's control infuriates Satan. His plan is to bring confusion, chaos, destruction, and death to all that is important to God. His goal is to replace God and to be worshipped in place of God. Satan is the spirit behind the Antichrist efforts and will ultimately embody the man of perdition the Bible speaks of who will come on the scene in the last days to seek his coveted place to be worshipped. As you consider the events of this year alone, can't you see the exceedingly sad reality that many, many people are mere pawns in the enemy's plans to bring destruction and death? There are many people in positions of high influence and leadership who have been cooperating with the enemy's plans for decades in our country. They have what they believe is their own agenda to bring them into greater power, when in reality it is the agenda of Satan to use mankind to accomplish his evil, self-serving will. These people don't realize they are entirely expendable to Satan, who will destroy them once they have served what he believes is their usefulness. Some of these people will be brought to the saving knowledge of Jesus. They will be brought to realize the truth, and they will readily repent and choose to submit to Jesus. Others will not. In the meantime, all those who are cooperating with the enemy, again, under the delusion they are gaining their own positions of power and authority, will continue to rob, cheat, lie, steal, destroy, and kill all as a means to their chosen end. There are three leading attributes about God that, if properly understood, would place the fear of God in anyone who does not operate in pride. While God has many other attributes, I think these three are important here. First, God is omnipotent, which is all-powerful. He is sovereign over all, and there is no power greater than His. God is also omnipresent, or everywhere present. There is no place on earth, under the earth, or in heaven where God is not present. God is also omniscient, which is all-knowing. There is nothing that escapes the eyes and understanding of God. Nothing in secret or in the open escapes God. When Satan rebelled against God from heaven, God banished him out of heaven forever. The dwelling place for Satan and his evil minions is known as the second heaven, which is the atmosphere between earth and God's holy heaven, also known as the third heaven. The third heaven is above the second heaven, and that's where God and his holy angels dwell. The earth is known as the first heaven, where both humans and spirit beings operate. However, by God's design, humans are to have dominion 
over the earth, making spirits subject to humanity under God. There is also the atmosphere of the underworld where hell exists, which is a place created for all evil beings to spend eternity. Lucifer knew about God's omnipotent, all-powerful, and omniscient, all-knowing attributes, yet his pride got the better of him to where he actually believed he could overthrow God. His pride deceived him and brought him to believe he was better than God and could do away with God. Doesn't that sound like the mindset of many of the self-appointed elite in our day? Ezekiel 28, 12-17 records God's response You were the model of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. You were anointed as a garden cherub, for I so ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways from the day that you were created till wickedness was found in you. Through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God, and I expelled you, O guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty, and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to earth. I made a spectacle of you before kings. All of this serves as background for our focus today, which is the fear of God. Proverbs 9.10 states the fear of God is the beginning of all wisdom. And James 4, 6 states, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Lucifer allowed his perfection to be the motivation for his rebellion. Lucifer was not satisfied with worshiping God. Instead, he wanted to be worshipped. Listen to what Isaiah 14, verses 12 to 15 records concerning Lucifer. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning! How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations! For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. I wholly believe it is human pride as fanned by the devil himself that has brought many men and women in high positions of leadership and influence to the level of pride and arrogance that has blinded them concerning the very existence of God and God's unique and supreme attributes. We have many self-appointed elite who are seeking power for themselves at the expense of many others in an attempt to counter our culture and change the very operational foundation of this country and in following change the world. These powerful elite under Satan's influence hate Christians and all we stand for. Many times throughout the years after reading the book of Revelation, I wondered how the vast majority of people in the whole world would come to worship an evil, controlling, oppressive being. It just didn't make sense to me. I mean, there are many people in the world who are awakened to the truth of God and the salvation offered through Jesus who are born again and no longer under the control of the enemy of God. In pondering this, I came away with a new understanding of what many Christians actually believe. Many believe Christians will be taken from the earth before the great and terrible days of the tribulation, as revealed in the Bible, will actually take place. If this is true, then all Holy Spirit-filled Christians would be removed from the earth 
which would also remove any restraining power against evil. This would leave evil to deal with evil, and maybe in that scenario all would worship the Antichrist. But as I read the book of Revelation, it's clear there are times during the seven-year tribulation where saints will still be on the earth. Please read Revelation for yourself instead of simply accepting what someone else says. There are two other schools of thought by highly educated scholars that differ from the pre-trib rapture doctrine. One is mid-trib rapture, and the other is a post-trib rapture. Each do an impressive job of gleaning from scriptures to substantiate their position. The bottom line for all of us is to major on the essentials and discount the non-essentials. The essential concerning the end times is Christ will come to gather his church, also referred to as his bride. The non-essential is when and how it will happen. A great article on this was written by Alan Holther with the Masters of Divinity, an associate professor of Bible Exposition and the New Testament at Talbot School of Theology, who also holds a Ph.D. from Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. The title of his article is, What is the Rapture and When Will It Happen? I will have the link to it in the show notes. If scholars who are far more educated than I am differ on the timing of the rapture, then I am sure not able to make a conclusive determination concerning the timing and the method of the event. I can, however, conclude at some point God will remove all of us from the earth as part of his plan so he can make a new heaven and earth. And since we will only be able to gauge the approximate times based on the end-time events foretold in the Bible, the best response for us is to live as though Christ could return at any minute and knowing it may be several more decades before he actually returns. We have the story Jesus provides in the New Testament about the parable of the wise and foolish virgins in Matthew 25. The five wise virgins kept oil in their lamps to be ever ready for their bridegroom to arrive, whereas the five foolish virgins lived with a focus on their daily life and the tasks of the current day. The foolish virgins were not prepared They were not ready to greet their bridegroom when he came. And although they asked the wise virgins to give them some of their oil, it was not permitted. How many people do you know who seek to live their Christian life vicariously? Vicariously meaning in an attempt to live life experienced through the activities of others rather than by doing what is necessary for themselves. We need to be honest here, especially in light of the fact that nothing escapes our Lord's awareness. Let us not just consider others, but examine ourselves to see if we are failing in some way to do what we ought for ourselves to live the most vibrant Christian life possible and be ever ready for our Lord's return. Having wondered how the whole world could be influenced to worship the Antichrist, expecting some people to be vocal and refuse, I was severely taken back this year to see all that's been imposed upon us by the government and how with very little pushback we have simply responded as sheeple. We have actually been given a glimpse of how the whole world, including Christians, can be deceived, oppressed, and controlled. This year with COVID-19, we've been subject to a test of our faith, our faith convictions, in the midst of opposition through government. How would you say we've done with this test? When we are tested by God, it is to reveal to us what's inside us. God already knows our hearts. When we respond in fear, 
we are sorely lacking in faith. When we respond with anxiety, worry, or dread, we are sorely lacking in faith. How can we fortify our faith? By intentionally learning the truths we need but are not operating in. Each test today is intended by God to strengthen and fortify us for the events that are yet to come. That's very important. We need to understand every test today is intended by God to strengthen us and fortify us for the events that are yet to come. I explained last week the decade of 5780 is the year of pay, P-E-Y, or the mouth, where God expects us to speak forth, to decree, and to declare the truths from God's Word. Yet, what has the enemy of God done? He has covered our mouths with masks and caused us to sequester in silent fear. The church that worships the one true God has been deemed non-essential, when in fact it is the most essential part of human existence. Many churches today have still not opened up for in-person services, despite the fact it is our constitutional right to assemble. Very few church leaders are coming forward to lead the charge using our civil laws to enforce our God-given rights. Gratefully, Pastor Che An of H. Rock Church and his associated churches, along with Pastor John MacArthur, are among those who are bravely stepping out to oppose the unlawful mandates against the church. I love what Pastor Che An said in his interview with Lance Wilnow about the church being tested by God and sadly being found to be lukewarm in our day. He explained now that we realize our condition, the church must stand up and speak and declare the truth of God's word. He compared the American church to the church in China, which the government fully opposes, yet Chinese citizens wave the American flag, believing we in America still offer the world hope. I'll have a link to the interview in the show notes. Imagine how gratifying it is for me to have written my recent two books about the end times and the importance for the church to properly respond and for the publication of these podcasts only to hear prominent men and women leaders in the Christian church preaching the same message and urgency that I have. It is one God and one spirit, and we must stand together united. These are not the last of the last days, but the beginning of the last days where God has tested us. God has tested his people to make us wake up, to get in lockstep with him, to accomplish his will on earth as it is in heaven. What is God's will? For every man, woman, and child who will choose to belong to him as part of his family to come to him of their own free will choice. Jesus' purpose in coming to earth was to set the captives free from the oppression and control of the evil one. Our role, then, is to take our place in Christ's purpose or be found lukewarm and be considered by God worthy only to be vomited from his mouth. Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 to 22. No man, and not even Jesus, knows the hour of his return. Only the Father knows. For this reason, I implore you with every sense of urgency to live every day as though it's your last and, for not knowing the hour he will come, to intentionally invest in the future for the church. I've talked about the parables of the miners and the towns before to emphasize the importance of our investing all we have 
for the expansion of Christ's church. Live every day as the early church did with the expectation that Jesus could come back at any minute. They were diligent about using their daily lives for the expansion of the kingdom of God. Imagine the demonstrated power of Christ we could experience if every Christian devoted themselves to the urgent expansion of God's kingdom. I ask you to give some genuine thought to what you would do differently each and every day if you carried the belief Christ could return at any moment. I suggest you prayerfully sit down with pen and paper or your computer and make a list of the different attitudes and actions you would take if you truly believed Christ could return at any moment. Let me offer another perspective, which is to live with the realization that our life can be taken from us at any moment. Something as innocent as crossing the street, and we could be met with the events that take our life from us. If that were to occur, would you have any regrets? It's not all that far-fetched that I ask us to consider living as though today is our last. September 16, 2002. I arrived at the tennis court to play tennis with a friend and two of her friends. I'd never met the other friends before. After introductions and stepping onto the court to warm up, my body encountered a series of never-before-experienced symptoms, and within a matter of minutes, I was on the ground with the three women praying over me while one remained on the phone with the dispatcher from 911. Within six minutes and 21 seconds from the call to 911, the emergency vehicles arrived and there was a scurry of men in dark blue uniforms scrambling about to attend me. Within a matter of a few more minutes, I was gone. I suffered sudden cardiac arrest, and I died. This was 18 years ago. I was in my tip-top shape, and neither was I a smoker. But I suffered sudden cardiac arrest on the sidewalk that morning. I'm told my body turned tomato red and flopped on the sidewalk a lot like a fish out of water while the men got the defibrillators ready. My new three best friends continued praying for me while they watched the MTs prepare to surge 200 joules of power through my body. I was completely unaware of what was going on. My spirit had gone to a whole new dimension. I call it the threshold of heaven. It was incredibly peaceful, and I was confident I was in the center of God's sovereign care. I was aware I was a wife and mother, but that didn't concern me. The serenity, peace, and assurance of God that I felt where I was allowed me the confidence that my husband and children would be entirely in God's care, too. There are no words to describe the euphoria and peace that I felt. There was a thin white light off in the distance, but it didn't beckon me. So when the EMTs did jolt my body with the defibrillators and I felt my spirit being drawn back into my body, I was utterly agitated that anyone would dare to disturb me. I loved where I was. But Greg Brinkley, one of the EMTs God sent to save my life, kept calling my name. When I was fully returned to my body, I opened my eyes, and the men in dark blue uniforms were really scurrying about at that point. They were preparing to rush me to the hospital in the ambulance with the sirens blaring and the fire truck leading the way. It is an exceedingly compelling and dramatic story, and believe it or not, there were a number of events during the ordeal that are laugh-out-loud funny. I invite you to hear my story as told to UCI's first annual day of women's health at the Crystal Cathedral and also as broadcast on Focus on the Family. 
You can find more information on my webpage called blessyourheartcampaign.com, and I'll have the details for you in the show notes. After that event, I started a heart disease awareness campaign with the slogan, Helping Women Everywhere Become Aware, because heart disease, not breast cancer, is the leading cause of death for women in North America. I encourage you to hear my story because many others who were made aware of the commonly undetected symptoms as they heard my story then sought medical care as they reported to me and lives have been spared as a result of their knowing my testimony. I hope to have captured your attention about the importance of having a proper reverence and awe of God, a proper fear of the Lord and respect for the fragility of our lives and the unknown events of the future. I want to bring you, I want to bring us all to a new and intentional way of living each and every day as though it could be our personal last. Not one of us know what the future holds for us, so it behooves us to live with the end in mind. Again, let's make a list of very specific changes we can make to live intentionally for Christ and show His love to others while seeking the Lord for His help in actually changing our perspective on life. Our view of the end times influences how we live each and every day for today and for the unknown future. In contrast, especially this year, we have seen the tremendous numbers of people who don't have a proper fear of God, who operate in pride and essentially with absolutely no regard for God's existence. These people are deceived by the enemy concerning God, his existence, his power, character, will, and intentions. The hatred, slander, lies, violence, destruction, lawlessness, violence unto death, and more that we've witnessed this year are evidence for the lack of belief in God. If more people believed in God with a proper understanding of who He is, they would run from evil instead of participating with it. What we are seeing and experiencing is blatant anarchy and a total disregard for law and order and respect for people and property. Worse than those who are perpetuating the violence are those who are supporting by funding and organizing the violence. And may I soberly add, worse than those perpetrating the violence are those who are supporting violence by not restraining it. Please hear me on this. I seriously doubt anyone listening to this program is funding and helping to organize the increase of evil and violence. But could it be said of us that we are supporting the wickedness by not seeking to restrain it? I know we've all been crying out to the Lord to help resolve the increase of wicked and evil all around us. Night after night, violence continues to escalate in our major cities, Los Angeles, Chicago, Minneapolis, New York, Atlanta, Washington, C., and more recently, Kenosha, Wisconsin. One of the recent headlines read, quote, Major U.S. cities gripped with crisis now face a spike in deadly shootings, including children, end quote. Our individual responsibility or assignment in God's plan is what I want for us to focus on in this last program on the topic of the fear of God. What I hope to bring out are some of the cultural deceptions and church doctrines we've accepted that have actually led us away from our rightful place in God's plan, which in turn has opened the way for the increase of evil. Culturally, the church in recent decades has sought to separate herself from evil and sin essentially seeking to draw a line in the sand 
as a demarcation of what is right and what is wrong, or what is good and what is evil. This separation has left areas in our world without the influence of the Holy Spirit to restrain the increase of sin and wickedness. This has resulted in the creation of a vacuum that sucks evil in where righteousness is absent. Then, as the church observed the increase of wickedness all around us, leaders looked to scriptures that reveal how evil will increase in the last days and then declared, so, based on scriptures, this is what we're supposed to expect. The Bible warns us that evil will be declared good and good will be declared evil. So, since things are playing out as foretold, we need only hide in our holy huddles and wait for God to rescue us. No, this is not what God intends. This, my dear brothers and sisters, is a Leviathan twist on the truth that has rendered the church in the world today irrelevant and impotent, and has caused us to be marginalized and even hated, and worst of all, has made us responsible for the apostasy we see today. This is not the plan of God. This is the plan of the enemy. Scriptures do not teach that Jesus is coming back for a helpless, fearful, impotent bride but that he is returning for a spotless and wrinkle-free, radiant, victorious bride. Christ came to destroy the works of the devil so we could have life and life more abundant. Our role, if we want to be victorious, is to align ourselves with Christ's purpose and to take up our personal assignment in his purpose. Bill Johnson wrote, The command to disciple nations is not figurative. It was a literal command that has the backing of heaven for those who embrace their assignment. This is a time when the sheep and the goat nations are being decided. Silence by the church or unbelief concerning divine purpose can cost us the privilege of fulfilling that part of our commission. It will end in disaster for many nations, and I'll add, including America, that could have had a significant outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The strategy for occupation for the purpose of advancement and increase is an absolute kingdom principle. End quote. Mario Marilla was recently interviewed about our nation and the world and the pivotal realities we must recognize and address in this critical hour. Mario prophesied that our nation is facing ensuing events that will be both good and bad, that in the midst of persecution we will also see a great harvest of souls. He explained God is about to step in with great surgical precision on the order of a military strike. Those who oppose God will be subject to his wrath. Those who are clearly aligned with God will be protected. But understand, to be aligned with God does not mean to hide in our homes. Rather, it means to be confident in our faith, speaking and decreeing declarations consistent with the will of God and his plans in this hour to call forth his heavenly hosts and bring truth to the souls who hunger and thirst for righteousness. I will have a link to Mario Murillo's video in the show notes as well. The Bible states, The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs 9.10 I pray this program and all my programs add value and enrich your life that you may be in perfect position to experience the abundant blessings of God as a child in whom he is well pleased. Next week, we'll take our first hard look at what we must do in this critical hour to regain our position of prominence and influence to advance God's kingdom.
At this time, I want to thank my sponsors, Virtual Shield, that protects you with internet privacy, and Movi, that helps parents protect their children from predators and other internet invasions. I want you to learn more about these companies and consider availing of their services. I also want to thank Leanne Mancini for her beautiful children's book series called The Adventures of Sea Kids. When you purchase any products through my links, you get the benefit of the goods and the services offered, and you support me and my ministry at the same time. I'm not a 501c3 organization, so donations are not tax-deductible. Instead, I try to bring you goods and services that you can enjoy and that help me as well. This program, Faith to Live By, is a division of Pamela Christian Ministries, LLC, a ministry that offers many different goods and services. There's my multi-award Faith to Live By book series, our travel division, my speaking and teaching ministry, and more. I invite you to learn about my main website, PamelaChristianMinistries.com. By the way, I list all of my sponsors, show notes, and bonus items on Charisma Podcast Network and on my website, faithtoliveby.com. On that landing page, there is a link and more information about my sponsors and partners. Instead of asking you to support my ministry by giving direct, again, I ask you to please avail of the goods and services you'll learn about from my show notes. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on iTunes, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Your review helps the show reach more people and spread the gospel and also helps people learn how to best apply their Christian faith. Be sure to follow me on Facebook at Faith to Live by TV, on Twitter at PL Christian, and on LinkedIn at Pamela Christian. If you'd like to be one of my insiders, subscribe to my complimentary bi-monthly e-newsletter. I offer you a choice of a free gift in appreciation for your subscription. And lastly, visit my page for this show, faithtoliveby.com, to enjoy all of the podcasts we've produced so far. I hope you'll join me next week and tell your friends and family to listen right here on Faith to Live By, where we learn how to gain spiritual victory over life's issues. Until next week, I'm Pam Christian, asking you to remember, Christ died for us. The very least we can do is live for Him. Amen.